Good morning. It's good to be with you uh, on this Sunday. Would you just turn with me to the scripture on the bulletin, or you can turn in your pew Bible to page 241. I'm going to read from the Old Testament book of Samuel. This is 1 Samuel 18, just 1 through 5. This is what the Lord says. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. This is God's word. Let me just pray and then we'll we'll begin. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you, Lord, for calling us into a community, uh, calling us into a relationship with you, but calling us into a community in which we're called to develop friends. Lord, it's astounding what you say in the book of James, that Abraham was a friend of God. Lord, would you help us understand what that means, uh, how Jesus informs that, and would you uh, equip us today, encourage us today, so that we might be better friends uh, to one another and better friends to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's just set the stage. Within these five verses, there's a lot going on. Uh, a king is uh, descending. Saul is beginning his descent. Uh, David is beginning his ascent to the throne. Uh, Jonathan, who is the heir apparent to the throne, he is waiting in the wings. And if this were any other story, that would be enough to contend with. But it's not. Uh, the author here makes a special note. He wants us to see something that you actually can't see on the surface you never would actually anticipate, and that is that God is creating a supernatural friendship between Jonathan and David. He's creating a supernatural friendship not between Jonathan and his own father, but between Jonathan and his father's rival. He creates what I'm going to refer to as a covenantal friendship. He knits Jonathan's soul to David. And so Jonathan concretizes that. He, commits a, he creates a covenant with David. And what that covenant means is that, Jonathan's, uh, that David's needs are now Jonathan's needs. That Jonathan puts the needs and the welfare and the future of David before his own. Uh, and that's essentially what all, cov- covenant friendship, all covenant friendship does. He says, I want you to know by this covenant, I'm promising that you will know that I am for you and that I'm going to spend my life imparting, conveying, articulating uh, the vision and the values of the kingdom of God so that you're going to be prepared for life. That you're going to be prepared for life and leadership and in ministry. And when I say ministry, you know, in the Christian worldview, every person, no matter what your job is, you have a, a ministry, Right? in your sphere of influence. You're there not just to be a great mechanic. You're not just there to be a great banker. 
but you're there to to do ministry in that sphere of influence. So I, I use it in that term. So that's exactly what Jonathan says. I'm going to I'm going to impart. I'm going to communicate. I'm going to set forward uh, before you the vision and values of the kingdom of God. That's my goal in this friendship. That's in, it's now a covenantal friendship. And so what I want to talk about today, and I think what we should all be encouraged by, is that God is still in the business of knitting souls together for his own purposes. And I think there's a lot that we can learn from this passage about what it means to be a friend, not only to be a friend of God, but to understand the friendship that God seeks with us. So let's do that. Let's, and let's do that by looking at uh, three questions. Let's just say, what is, what is it? What is covenantal friendship? How does it work? And why do we need it? What is covenantal friendship? How does it work? And why do we need it? So what is covenantal friendship? Um, let me start by saying, when, when I was a kid, I was enamored by books on friendship. Uh, there was one particular author, not a great author, but really spoke to my soul. Her name was Essie Hinton. And Essie Hinton wrote books about troubled kids who knew they lived in a broken world uh, they knew in some sense that they didn't belong there. And it fostered in this group of kids uh, fierce loyalty, real admiration and appreciation for one another. And this community that they had uh, throughout this, these series of books was uh, transcendent. Their friendships made them uh, transcend the, the current struggles that they were in. Perhaps you know some of these books, The Outsiders, uh, Texts. That was then, this is now. Not, not classic literature. They're mostly movie vehicles for Matt Dillon. I'm dating myself. <laughs> but they were great books. I love those books. I still love those books. And actually, I've been reading, I was telling Mark, I've been reading uh, the Harry Potter series with my son. And those books, they're, a lot of, they're about a lot of things. But at the core, they're about friendship within a supernatural universe. They're about how, you, how, about how friends help you navigate through a supernatural universe. And here's what I think is important. It's not just friendship as an end unto itself. It's not just loyalty for the sake of being loyal. But Hermo- uh, Hermione and Ron and Harry, the three main characters, they're friends because they're all seeking to help one another discover who they really are. Right? I mean, that's the story of Harry Potter. He's this great wizard, and he's only just found out his true identity. And so that's what the friendship is all about. And I think that's important for us to think about because friendship is not an end unto itself. Covenantal friendship actually has... uh, Well, let me... Before I get into there. If friendship is just an end unto itself, it's actually quite dangerous. Friendship without a rudder, friendship without a direction... uh, can actually really lead us astray. So Augustine, in his book Confessions, he tells this very famous story about how one time he and his buddies, they stole, they went into an orchard and they stole some peaches. And Augustine says, you know, I have peaches back home. I don't even like peaches. Why did I steal that? And he says, you know, I stole it because I wanted to steal it. But he also says his friends had a tremendous impact on his decision to to do that. And he says this, he says, Had I been alone, I would not have done it. I remember my state of mind to be thus at the time. Alone, I would have never have done this. 
Therefore, my love in that act was to be associated with the gang in whose company I did it. Which he then goes on to say, friendship can be a dangerous enemy. So what's the point? Whether it's Augustine, whether it's the outsiders. uh, Oftentimes, we don't seem to understand the possibility or the purpose of friendship until it's too late. So there was uh, one quote that really was helpful as I was preparing this talk. And it was uh, a woman in a Christianity Today article, and she said this about, about covenantal friendship. She says, What makes a friendship spiritual is not its own perfection, but its origin and its direction. A spiritual friendship, a Christian friendship, is always reaching out for what the friendship is really about, which is God. So what makes Christian uh, covenantal friendship distinct, I'll say, from friendship in general is that it's not based on your avocation. It's not based on geography. It's not based on uh, ethnicity. It's not based on uh, cultural upbringing. What it's based on is the fact that you recognize that God has somehow knit your soul to somebody else. And therefore, that, that friendship has an origin now. And it has a direction. And I think that's pretty important because we live in a culture that places a very high value on feelings. You know, there's an, I was, I've been reading this book, and it, you know, it's a, it's a book that says, you know, we, we've, we, we no longer live in a world in which, in which we agree that there's a personal God behind things. And yet, we, we still cling to all the values of a world in which a personal God is behind things. And because we don't believe that there's actually this personal God that's behind things, we don't really have an understanding of why things are the way they are. Our feelings become ultimate things. And so the idea, and I say that to say for, about friendship, the idea of being a soulmate, everybody's looking for their soulmate. And this says, wait a second, you don't need to be soulmates. I'm, I, your friendship has an origin and a direction. And that doesn't mean that it's always going to be reciprocal. And I'm going, to tell, I'm going to give you an illustration for that here in a second. So, what the question is, what is it? Covenantal friendship is a gift from God by which two souls are knit together so that we love, we treat, we consider the soul of our friend with the same attentiveness that we do our very own soul. And in so doing, both people are nurtured, both people are equipped in different ways for life and ministry. Montaigne was a philosopher. He was a writer. And he said that there was a true friendship every 300 years. Um, And I don't think that's true. But I think what is true is that friendship is pretty rare. It's pretty precious. And so when I talk about covenantal friendship, I don't mean to say that you're going to have a covenantal friendship with every person in this room every person in church. But I think there are one or two, a few friendships like that throughout a course of one's life. And it's those friendships, it's how you, how you serve one another, love one another, defer to one another, that inform all the other kinds of derivative friendships that you have, right? So I'm in a covenantal relationship with my wife. She's my primary friend. She's my best friend. She's the one that I put, I try, on my best days, I try to put her needs before mine. 
right? And it's, but it's that friendship that informs all the other friendships in my life. So friendship, you know, it's a rare thing. I don't want to, I don't want to overstate that this, you know, everybody's walking around as, as uh, the primary covenantal friends, friends. And so we only have a couple in our lives. Uh, so covenantal friendship, that's what it is. It's a gift, but it's also something that, that we can learn, okay? Why do I say that? Jonathan's soul was knit to David's, but he knew exactly what to do. And I say it's something that he learned because in, in 1 Samuel 14, Jonathan experiences a friendship that's quite a surprise for him. Let me just give you a little bit of the backstory. Jonathan, uh, Saul is on a campaign. Saul is going around with his army and he is defeating all of these, all of these neighboring bad guys. And at, at one point, right before 14, Saul stops listening to the prophet Samuel. The prophet Samuel is actually really the, the key figure in, in much of this story. Because, because of Saul's, Samuel's relationship with God, Saul is the king. Right? So Saul begins to stop listening to Samuel. And you start to see that Saul's friendships start to change. His direction starts to change. And in this particular place, he's encamped and he's surrounded by a bunch of priests that are suspect. They're whispering in his ear. They're not telling him the things that Samuel would would be telling him. And right over uh, the edge or over the ridge is, uh, is the enemy. And they're not doing anything about it. They've sort of lost their way, we're supposed to see. And Jonathan... It says, he doesn't tell his father, but he goes over and he, and he says to his, his servant, he says, let's go over there, let's take those guys out. Yeah, they're up on a cliff, they have a better strategic position, there's only two of us, but let's just go up there and let's just see what happens. And if God is with us, we'll take them by many or by few. And his armor bearer, his servant, says this, he says, do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish, because I'm with you heart and soul. Sounds familiar, right? So they go up there. He's with them heart and soul. A miracle happens. These two guys take out this whole battalion. And I think it's, you know, you ever learn something and then realize why you learned it months later? Oh, God taught me this, or I just, I learned this thing. I don't know why I learned it, why I even began to consider something like that. And then months later, you're like, oh, now I know how to apply it. I think that's, that's what's happening here. Jonathan now knows what, it, what a covenantal friend looks like. To be heart and soul for someone, to, to put uh, their needs before your own, to lay your life down for somebody else. And that's exactly what he does. Here's the, here's the teaching point. Everybody needs to have a friend like this. Everybody needs to, to have an armor bearer in their life. And everybody needs to be an armor bearer in somebody else's life. Now, this is the critique or the comment I might say on, on being a soulmate. Jonathan, Jonathan's relationship with his armor, armor bearer, it wasn't lovey-dovey. They probably never talked in social circles. Jonathan is the son of the king. His armor bearer is a servant. He's a slave. Right? The point is, is, is the, the covenantal friendship supersedes social standards. The armor bearer knows Jonathan is never going to be the kind of friend 
to me that I can be for him. And that is okay. It's pretty interesting, right? Because so oftentimes in our friendships we get burned because we feel like I'm giving everything to this person and I am not getting in return. I admire this person so much and they don't feel the same way about me. The armor bearer has a very different disposition. He's saying, because I believe that, that God is with Jonathan, I'm going to put Jonathan's needs before my own. I'm going to lay down my life for him. Right? So everybody needs to have a friend like this. Everybody needs to be an armor bearer, uh, to have an armor bearer as a, as a friend, and to be an armor bearer for somebody else. Because Jonathan was not his armor bearer's armor bearer. Right? Whose armor bearer was he? David's. He's David's armor bearer. So, uh, it's not only a gift from God, a covenantal friendship. That armor bearer was such a gift to Jonathan. So it's a gift to God, but it's something that you also can learn to grow into. I have a friend um, back home, or in New York, back home, all the way back home. I have a friend at my church, and she's uh, maybe in her late late 50s. She's an executive coach. Uh, which means that she helps big banks find leaders of these big banks. She's a great job. She does very well. And about 20 years ago, she became a Christian, and she did not know why or how. She didn't know any Christians. It just sort of happened for her. And in becoming a Christian, she felt called to prayer. So she is, that's her thing. She prays for everybody. She's, she's a leader, a teacher of prayer. And she didn't know why all of this happened until one day her maid saw on her desk a Bible. And she said, Miss Lorene, you know, I see you have this Bible on your desk. Why, why are you reading that? And, she, and Lorene turned to her and said, was that you? Was it you that was praying for me all of this time? And she said, yeah. I've been praying for you for 10 years, for you and Greg, as an armor bearer. Lorene never would have stooped to have an intimate, soul-bearing conversation with her maid. But her maid, that didn't stop her maid, did it? And her maid didn't say, Lorene, you and I have to be BFFs for the rest of our lives now, (laughs) right? There's great power in covenantal friendship, great power freedom in your friendships because of covenantal friendship. How does it work? Covenantal friendships give us hope. There's this, that place in Henry V, you probably all read it in high school, Henry V, he's on a campaign too, military campaign, they're invading France, and at one point, Henry brings up these three noblemen, and they've all betrayed him. They've all sold him out but one of them, Lord Scroop of Masham, is his BFF. And he says, you know, he reads the first two, their riot act. He strips them of their medals. He smacks them in the face. And then, but when it gets to Lord Scroop, you can just hear his heartbreak. He says, you know, you knew the very bottom of my soul. Uh, you know, how could you do this? Um, so on and so forth. And then he says something that's quite interesting he says for this revolt of thine methinks is like another fall of man when our friends betray us we do feel 
that this world couldn't be more broken. We do experience that this is a world of just sin and misery. It hurts that bad. He compares his friend's betrayal of him to Adam betraying God. And we, we rec- that resonates with us when our friends hurt us. But a covenantal friendship does just the opposite. A covenantal friendship in times of adversity says, there is hope in this world. Yeah, it's, it's broken and it's sinful, but there's also renewal. There's, there's also restoration. There's, there are people who are committed to me in spite of all of my foibles, in spite of all of my flaws, in spite of the fact that I'm actually not a very good friend. So it brings hope, and we see that in this passage. Uh, he says, look in verse 10 and uh, verse 3. It gives us hope by promoting what I'm going to say tenderness, which leads to integrity. His soul is knit to, to, to David. That's a very, te- that's really beautiful, vulnerable, tender language. David should be his rival. But because of that act of God, he's tender towards, towards David. And that tenderness leads to integrity, which is a sign of hope, right? To have a friend who's, who, whose yes means yes and his no means no. That's something you can trust, you can rely on. And the proof was in the pudding. David treated, uh, Jonathan, excuse me, Jonathan, who was the royal son, treated David like, the, like true royalty. And when, and when Jonathan uh, was dead and gone, do you guys remember what David does with Mephibosheth? Mephibosheth is, is, has fled. He's afraid of David. But David goes and he seeks him out and he brings him back in and he takes care of him. Why? Because of the relationship that... Because of how Jonathan treated David. Verse 2. Uh, the covenantal friendship promotes joy for one another. Look at the passage. Uh, look at Saul's language there. It says, And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. That's not like extreme hospitality don't ever leave I don't want you to ever leave no Saul is out of fear and anxiety of what God is doing in David's life imprisons him in a palace but that's not what happens for, for Jonathan Jonathan is joyful for one another for him uh, the other is full of joy and everything he does is an expression of gratitude and encouragement over what God is doing in his life There's no jealousy, there's no bitterness, there's no animosity. He's excited about what God is doing in his life. Even even if it, it, you know, it doesn't comment on what God is doing in his life. He just wants to simply be a part of it. So it's joy for one another, not animosity. And then there's just brazen generosity. Uh, Jonathan begins to give him everything of value in his life. And you see that here. So Jonathan made a soul uh, a covenant with David, and Jonathan stripped himself of the robe. And what that means is, is that Jonathan took off his royal robes, which was which was the 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 sign that he was the heir apparent. He's the next in line, and in front of full view means he gave them to David, as if to say, "Don't look at me. He's the man now." Absolute vulnerability there. He gives him his armor. Uh, <clears throat> He, that is a way of, you know, obviously, armor, what does that do? It protects you. He is saying, David, around you, I'm going to be completely vulnerable. And then he gives him his sword. You cannot give somebody a sword if you are not saying, I'm going to trust you to, in how you use this. Right? 
how does that work out for us practically? We can fill in our own blanks. Uh, how do we put robes on people? Do we see the gifts? Do we see what God is doing in, in somebody else's life and say, I want everybody to see this. I am not afraid of their gifts and talents. I'm not afraid of how brilliant they are or what a great encourager they are or whatever their talent may be. I want that person to recognize it and I want everybody else to recognize it so we can get behind this person. We don't live in a following culture. We're told to be leaders. Covenantal friendships lead by following. Ron and Hermione are great followers. Did they have a boring life? No. Page after page of adventure, right? It's incredible. Frodo and Sam were followers. No, Frodo? No, Sam was a follower of Frodo. Boring life? No. Right? So, uh, to, how, you know, what does it look like to place the royal robe on somebody, to anoint them, to, to point them out for others so that they can be appreciated and, and that people can get behind them? Uh, armor. What areas of expertise might we impart to our covenantal friends that might save them 10,000 heartaches? One of, the, one of the great privilege, I think, of being a, of being a Christian is that, is that there are people that are not afraid to give you their power, to teach you about God's Word, to say, uh, I'm going I'm to teach you something that's actually going to be not just common sense wisdom, but I'm going to give you, I'm going to equip you to move through this. I'm not being very clear there. Most people hoard their power. Most people don't want to share something that's going to help you. Most people don't look out for one another. But in the Christian community, Paul says it's a good and safe community. You know, in Philippians 4, he's, he's giving a lot of criticism. He's giving a lot of uh, affection. Gener- he's gener- generous with both. And he says, you know, it's good and safe that I tell you these things. And that's what Christian community is all about. It's a good and safe community because there's no competition. You know, if everybody in the com- community has been given a gift, you're a son, you're a daughter of the living God, you have the royal robes on you, there's no competition and you're free to help one another, not hoard your, hoard, hoard your gifts. All right, let's move forward. Why do we need it? So that's, we know what covenantal friendship is. Uh, why do we need it? Because our friends, the Davids in our life, and you and I, are going to experience times where we are alone, we're disillusioned, and we are uh, desperate. David had a very interesting life, didn't he? Not too long after this passage, he is on the run. And he is, I'll say he's very desperate, and the text basically says that too. He comes to Nob, and Nob is the temple. He comes to Nob, and he's, and he's alone, and he's looking for food, and he's looking for weapons, protection. But what's interesting is in the passage, it says, and, and he fled from Saul, and he went to Ashish. Now, Ashish is the home of Goliath. And so what we're supposed to see is that David is fleeing from his current mortal enemy, 
to the home of his former mortal enemy. And the only people that do that are desperate people. He has nowhere to go. And oftentimes in life we feel that way. We, have, we feel that desperate. And I think there's a teaching point in there. And that's this, that sometimes Saul, being in a friendship with Saul was a good thing. Uh, having slayed Goliath, that was a good thing. Those are blessings. But sometimes when we put too much value on the blessing and not the one who blessed us, those blessings will, will have us running for our lives. Does that make sense? It'd be great to be a friend of Saul until he's threatened by you. It's great to have uh, killed Goliath until you actually need a place to live and his kin want your head. So he's very desperate. He comes to, to Nob and he says to the priest there, he says, and he begins to lie. It's very clear in the text. He says, yes, uh, I'm here. I'm hungry. I need some food. I'm on a secret mission. And the, uh, it doesn't say a secret mission. But basically, that's exactly what he's saying. And he says, and my, my team, they're, they're out there. I just need food and weapons for them. And the priest says, okay, let me help you. And he says, look, I don't have any, um, I don't have any food, but I have, I have some bread. It's the bread that we only eat um, at the, at the most sacred time of the year, it's, it's the bread of the presence, and it's only for the priests, but I'm going to give it to you. He says, I don't have any weapons, but I have one weapon. It's a sword. It's the sword of Goliath. Remember when you killed him, I have the sword. I'm going to give that to you. So he's desperate. He's disillusioned. <laughs> he's alone. And this priest doesn't just feed him, doesn't just give him weapons, but because God has a covenantal relationship with David, the priest gives him the best bread. He gives him the best weapons. And David goes on his way. The next day, Saul shows up and says to the priest, did you help David? And he says, yes. And that priest dies. They kill him. And they kill all the priests in that temple. So the point. We all need a friend like that. I don't... The text does not allow me to say that he knew that David was lying and he was a friend anyway. But we know about Jesus Christ who, was the tr- who is the true priest. We know about his covenant to us. We know that when we go to, God, go to Jesus and we're alone and we're desperate and we're disillusioned, he is absolutely committed to us anyway even though he knows we're going to lie up to him, even though that we're not going to be faithful to him, that we can't possibly uh, be as loyal to him as he has been to us. You know, this whole story just points you to the true friend of our lives, which is Christ. Remember I said, you can't be uh, a covenantal friend unless you have a covenantal friend. Unless you know what that looks like. Unless you've learned what that looks like. He's the true armor bearer. You know, Jesus Christ on the cross was disrobed. He was absolutely naked. Why? So that he could place his robes of righteousness on us. Right? Jesus Christ uh, uh, took uh, took the swords in his own hands. Why? So that we, 
so that we could, through His strength, through His power, experience the sword of truth. All of these things on the cross, they point to what a true friend He has been to us. And to the degree that you and I understand that, we'll be better friends for, for one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that though you could have called down legions of angels, that you did not. That you were vulnerable so that you could show us what true strength is and show us the power that is behind your friendship for us. Lord, thank you, Lord, that you're not just a God reigning on high, but that you, you are committed to the brokenhearted, that you're close by, that you are our true friend when we can't possibly be the kind of friend that you are to us. Thank you for your love, your loyalty. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be the kinds of friends that, that you call us to be, to put our needs, or the needs of others before our own, uh, to treat others the way that you have treated us, uh, not for our glory, but for yours. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.